right? Okay, we do want to spend time in the Word of God, so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and we'll be looking at just a couple verses for tonight. Let me just give you the context of the book of Hebrews um, before we read our passage. So the book of Hebrews, it was a letter, um, or I think more accurately, it was kind of like a sermon. Um, the author calls it a brief word of encouragement in Hebrews 13, 22. And it's this letter that's written to persecuted and suffering believers. Uh, these were people who were in the throes of social and financial and religious pressures all around for their faith. And as we are all tempted to do when, when the, the heat is turned up and when things get hard, these struggling believers were tempted to give up. Okay, they, were feeling the pull of, uh, they were feeling the pull away from the gospel, away from this pure devotion to Christ, and they were ready to go back to their old ways, the safety and the comfort of their old way of life in Judaism. And so the author of Hebrews writes this letter um, to lift their eyes to Jesus and to encourage them to endure. Both of those ideas are very significant, uh, significant themes throughout the book of Hebrews. And one of the central messages is over and over again, the author proves and, and shows that Jesus is superior to, or, or Jesus is better than all these things that you are tempted to turn back to. Uh, the author says, consider him, right? Consider Jesus uh, so that you might endure this race that is the Christian life. And that's Hebrews 12, that famous passage. Um, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, here in chapter 13, we're at the very end of the letter and kind of typical of other epistles in the New Testament, the author kind of lands the plane and brings things to a close with this number of seemingly uh, like random or miscellaneous concluding remarks. So he says things like, or he gives this exhortation towards brotherly love, uh, a command to extend hospitality, to remember those in prison, to honor marriage, to guard yourself from the love of money. So it's all these kind of seemingly random instructions, but the thing in common with all of them, I think, is there are things that ought to characterize the daily life of the local church. And one of those things that's mentioned in this last chapter, one of those things in the daily life of the local church is the importance of keeping yourself under the care of spiritual leadership mentions, uh, or this writer mentions leaders, spiritual leaders, three times, verse 7, verse 17, and verse 24. And so these are, are in this chapter, we get these instructions given to the church for how they ought to relate to their leaders. Okay, and, and that's what I want us to spend some time thinking about for tonight. Now, I'm not unaware of the fact that as one of your leaders, um, it might be a little bit awkward uh, for me to speak on this. Right? Especially after telling you guys about this decision that we're making, and then it's like, you know, like, listen to what we say. Right? That's not my intent, okay? Uh, verse 17 says, obey your leaders, submit to them. And so uh, I'm not just telling you, you know, you need to listen to me. Uh, and honestly, I, I'd rather not draw the attention to myself anyways. Okay? Like, I don't want to do that. Um, but scripture does draw attention to it, which means that it's important. And the heartbeat behind this passage isn't about making sure that we recognize or that we listen to our leaders because they're not getting enough recognition or, or because they deserve it. Uh, this isn't a self-serving kind of thing. Actually, quite the opposite. Uh, it's, a, it's intended to be a way that we as the church or as the congregation are best served by our leaders. 
That's the intent. The author wants us to understand God's good and gracious design for spiritual leadership in our lives. The author wants us to understand why God has given leaders to us, why it's necessary to not just have community around us. And and we've talked often about the need for community, right? And I think maybe the first people that come to mind when you think about community probably are your friends, right? Or your peers or other people in Beacon. And that's important. But it's not just nece- it's not just necessary or good enough to have them, but also spiritual leadership over us. Right? We are reminded that spiritual leaders are given to us by God for our best interest and spiritual well-being. I mean, just think about throughout the Bible, one of the dominant metaphors that describes the people of God is a flock. Right? We are sheep that are meant to be shepherded, and yes, by Christ, right, who is the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. But also not just like in this like abstract general way that we are particular sheep in our particular section of the flock under particular shepherds, right, in the local church. And so our passage reminds us to remember those people in your life. And actually that word for leader is uh, kind of a pretty broad and general term. It's not the word elder or deacon or pastor as we see in other New Testament passages. Uh, Those are going to be the most direct applications of this. I think those are the leaders that this author probably has in mind. But it's not just about me, right? It's not just about the pastors, but I think also by extension, um, disciplers and small group leaders and other leadership positions in the church or other leaders that you will have or have had in other uh, different points in your life. And so what I want us to consider as we look into this passage is do we recognize the important role that spiritual leaders play in our lives? Have you put yourself under their care, under their shepherding, under their protection and oversight because God has given them to you for your good? Especially as young people, especially as people living in our day and age where everyone is all about being individualistic, everyone is all about being autonomous, and authority is perceived as this negative thing. Do we recognize that God has given this to us? And so uh, this is on our hearts, right? As we look forward to this switch to Sundays, we want to position ourselves so that the college students here are known and so that they are cared for. But at the same time, it's not just about this change in our ministry, like I said. I think it would serve all of us uh, well to consider this for ourselves. So let me read our, our passage. We'll look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and then we'll jump down to verse 17. All right, so Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then jump down to verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so we'll take this in two parts. First, we're going to look at what these verses teach us about the responsibility and the purpose of these leaders that God has given to us. And then secondly, we will consider how we can best put ourselves under their care, right? how we can best receive all that God has intended for us through them. And so point number one is God's provision of spiritual leaders over you. Um, Like I said, the emphasis of these verses is the congregation's responsibility towards their leaders. So how the people are called to relate to their leaders. Um, But we do learn so much about what uh, these leaders' role is, right? And we do learn so much about what God has called these leaders to do. And we'll look at this in three different categories. Um, So the first thing I think we see uh, as part of their responsibility is a word-based ministry. 
In verse 7, the writer says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Now, if you think about all the things that a pastor does, there are probably many, many, many other things that these leaders did for their people. But notice what the author chooses to highlight. The most significant thing, or the, the thing that you can say summarizes their ministry activity is what? That they spoke the word of God. And we see this all throughout the pastoral epistles, the New Testament, that the the basis, the foundation of any and all all spiritual leadership in the church is God's word. That the authority that they have doesn't come from themselves, but it's because they are speaking on behalf of God's authoritative word. And that's why what we do, what we do, or that's why we do what we do in Beacon. That's why we we build all that we do around God's word, right? We sing uh, songs that have a doctrinal truth, right? We teach the word of God. We are in small groups so we can think about how to apply the word of God. As we are sent out, we try to live out the word of God. And specifically for the leaders, it is their job to speak it. And I think this can be anything from uh, the public kind of formal teaching uh, or the pulpit ministry uh, to just like wise and loving conversations in the counseling room, um, to speaking the word of God in evangelism, to just like sharing biblical advice in, in conversation and in small groups. Now, the context of Hebrews gives us a couple of specific reasons I think the word is so essential. Uh, so verse 9, it says one of those purposes for us, it says that you wouldn't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. And then I know we jumped from verse 7 to 17, but in the middle, right, we get verses 9 to 16, and that's this example of false teaching that was actually plaguing the church, um, something concerning food in that day. And so we need the ministry of the word uh, from our spiritual leaders to protect us from error, to protect us from false teaching. And maybe it's not straight up like blatant, obvious heresy. Maybe it's more subtle and just unbiblical worldviews. Um, I know some of you have been able to join the book study through Carl Truman's Strange New World. And uh, like I said, I've heard some really positive and just encouraging feedback about how you guys have been engaging with that reading. And uh, for those of you who have been able to join, I hope that that has been eye-opening for you. Right? Just to see like, how these competing worldviews have almost become the air that we breathe. And so we need to be able to think wisely uh, through life according to the lens of Scripture. And that's what our leaders help us to do. They protect us from error. Uh, There's another reason, and this is from earlier in Hebrews 2, uh, but this is something that comes up over and over again throughout the book. Hebrews 2.1, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. So we got to pay attention to the teaching of the word. Why? Lest we drift away from it. So another purpose of the ministry of the word Uh, from our spiritual leaders is to help us persevere in the faith, to help us persevere in the faith, to keep us from growing complacent, to keep us from drifting away. And I I think the older that you get, the the further along that, that you are in the Christian life, I mean, the more you realize that it doesn't get easier, right? It doesn't get easier. You can't just like go on cruise control. It actually gets harder. I mean, the more that you recognize your own sinful struggles, the more you are aware of just daily temptations to your soul. And I think the more that this exhortation makes sense. You need the word of God accurately and authoritatively and faithfully taught to you so that you would not drift. I think something that will significantly aid you in persevering in the Christian life 
right? Something that will keep you going is that ministry from your spiritual leaders. So that's word-based ministry. Second uh, is godly character and conduct. So in verse 7, the, the writer continues. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So it's not just their teaching, right? It's not just what they're saying, but, but also what? It's their lives. It's their character. It's their conduct. It's not just what they say, but how they live. And we see this all throughout the New Testament as well. Um, 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Or Acts 20, verse 28, uh, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Now, when it says uh, in verse 7, the outcome of their way of life, it could, it could be communicating that these leaders have since passed away. So you can think of it as like verse 7 is their former leaders, and then verse 17 is their current leaders. Um, and, and so the, the writer says, just like you consider all these biblical heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, right? consider also how your leaders, these, these past leaders have finished the race. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Uh, so it, it could be talking about leaders who have passed away. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that. It could just be talking about kind of the totality of their lives. Um, the other command uh, is kind of similar. It says imitate their faith. And that could be referring to, you know, like uh, imitate their belief or their trust in the gospel. But in Hebrews, we see this kind of distinct flavor um, to what the author means by faith. And it's that idea of endurance, of resolve, of perseverance, of this unwavering trust. Um, you see that in Hebrews chapter 11, right? It's this faith that, that helped the saints endure through suffering and through waiting. And so I hope you kind of get the idea here, right? The, the author is talking about lives that are faithful, that are consistent, that are godly, that are, that are visible and tangible expressions of having finished the race. These are lives that are lived with integrity and perseverance. And the author says, consider this about them, about your leaders, and imitate their faith. Now, have you ever, if you've ever read through the New Testament, have you ever noticed how Paul was not shy to often invite other people to imitate him. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. At 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says that. Philippians 3.17, Philippians 4.9. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And how, how could he say that? Right? Well, it's because he lived the kind of life that Hebrews 13 describes. Now, here's something convicting, I think, for us to think about. For those of you who are in positions of leadership, or uh, even if you're not, are you comfortable saying that same thing to someone else? Are you comfortable saying to someone else, hey, imitate me, watch my life, and follow my example as I follow Christ? The third thing that we see, the third role or responsibility of uh, these leaders is serious soul care. So if you jump down to verse 17, the writer says that they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, don't miss the truth that is communicated in these verses. Okay, I know it specifically highlights the role or the responsibility or the accountability um, of the spiritual leaders. Right? But I, I think in this verse, we also see that all of us will have to give an account before God. Right? All of us will have to give an account before God. And and I see that in that word soul. Right? That word soul reminds me of Jesus' own words in Matthew 16, 26, 
or in Luke 12, 20, when he says that this very night, your soul is required of you. Or when Jesus says, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but forfeit your soul? See, the reality is that one day we will all have to give an account of our lives before God. And the warning over and over and over again throughout scripture is that many of the things that you may have spent your time on earth doing, right? Many of the things that you might have spent so much time doing on earth that they will not matter when it comes to your eternal destiny. It will not matter how much money you have in your bank account. It will not matter how uh, high or low your GPA was. It will not matter how many friends you had or even how many good things that you did. What will matter is whether or not you have trusted in the gospel for eternal life. What will matter are things of eternal significance. And our passage teaches us that it is the weighty responsibility of our spiritual leaders to help prepare us for that day. It says that they are keeping watch over your souls. And and the picture is not just that they're watching you, but they're watching anything that might threaten you. They are keeping guard over your soul. They're not there to make you feel good about yourself. They're not there to tell you things that you want to hear. They're not there to make sure that you had fun or that you were entertained by the sermon. Your spiritual leaders are helping to prepare you to stand before a holy God. That is what matters. That is why we do what we do. And the author of Hebrews says that on that day, those leaders won't just have to give an account for their own lives, but they will also have to give an account for the lives of those in their care. God will ask them, how did you help your people turn to Christ? How did you help them turn away from sin? How did you teach them with your words and with your life? How did you protect them from the enemy? How did you pursue the wandering sheep? How did you encourage the disheartened? How did you steward the precious souls that were entrusted into your protection and your care? I mean, that is a a sobering and scary thing to consider as a pastor and, and someone in spiritual leadership. That one day God will ask me, Francis, how did you shepherd Beacon? Like, how did you care for your college students? How did you care for your staff? And not only that, but did you faithfully speak the word of God? Did your life match up with your teaching? I wonder what your response to hearing some of this is. And we'll talk about that in our second point. But even before we get there, let me ask you, are these the things that you value in your leaders? It's not personality. It's not how gifted they are. It's not how charismatic they are. Uh, not that kind of charismatic. They, they taught the word faithfully. Right? They lived an exemplary life. They trusted in the promises of God. That is what the Bible values in their leaders. Is that what you value? And then something else I want you to consider, are these things that you are aspiring towards as current or as potential future leaders? And some of you are already serving in this position of leadership. You've, given, uh, you've been entrusted respons- with responsibility in your own way, shape, or form. Uh, whether it's at WCF or whether it's with the kids in children's ministry. And Lord willing, I hope that many of you will continue to serve as leaders and even eventually step into uh, greater positions of leadership, whether here or in other churches. 
Um, I even hope that some of you would consider full-time vocational ministry. But whatever it is, is this the standard that you are pursuing? Right, so that is the role of leaders. Second is putting yourself under the care of your spiritual leaders. And so as much as we can, can learn about the role of spiritual leaders from this passage, like I said, the author is addressing the congregation. And he's highlighting uh, the, the congregation's responsibilities. And at the end of verse 17, the writer includes this interesting exhortation about that. Um, look at what it says. It says, Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be of no advantage to you. Now, I think there's a couple things we can take from that verse. Um, first, that everything that your God-given spiritual leadership uh, that they do and their role in your life, that is intended for your advantage, right? It is intended for your benefit, for your good. Um, and as we said, especially the good of your soul. I think that's what we can infer from that phrase there. Um, more than that, passages like 1 Peter 5, 2-3 make it clear that spiritual leaders should do this joyfully. Right? They should be eager to do what they do. Uh, 1 Peter 5 says, Shepherd the flock of God, not under compulsion, but willingly, not for a shameful gain, but eagerly. So it shouldn't be this unhappy uh, burden. It shouldn't be a chore for them. That ministering to God's people shouldn't be drudgery. And if it is, not only will you not last long in ministry, but you will not care for your people well. Now, I remember reading a blog entry that uh, a friend wrote, and he wrote it kind of shortly after his son's first birthday. And he talked about how in his uh, conversations with parents, especially as a new parent, he observed a couple different types of parents. He said one type seems to describe parenting constantly just as difficult, as a chore, as something that's just tiring, uh, something that keeps them from doing what they truly want in life. And these kinds of parents, maybe you've met them before, they feel like they need to warn other parents. Right? They say things like, well, you better enjoy it now before they turn one year old, right? Or I can't remember the last time I had time for myself. Like everything always seems like it's just the hardest thing in the world. But on the other hand, there are parents who genuinely describe parenting as a joyful sacrifice. They talk about parenting as a blessing, a stewardship. That it is hard, but it is still worth it. That the joys far outweigh the challenges of sleep deprivation or dirty diapers or whatever else it might be. And it's not just parenting. People do this with, uh, with family, with work, with marriage, other areas of life. Now, don't get me wrong. Ministry is hard, right? Sometimes you are walking with people through significant sin and suffering. But God wants his under-shepherds, his leaders, to be some of the most joyful people. He, got, he calls his leaders to, to have that attitude in 1 Peter 5. And not only that, but our passage teaches us that as the people, as the flock, the congregation, there is a way that we can relate to them that actually encourages the joyfulness of our leaders. Right? There is a way that we can relate to our leaders that make it a blessing for them rather than a burden for them to lead you. And we'll kind of take that as kind of the overarching idea. And I want to consider a few different specific ways we can make it a joy for them that we see in this text. Um, first is, based on that phrase, remember your leaders. Uh, we said earlier that verse 7 could likely be referring to those leaders in the past who had played such a significant role in speaking the word of God. Right? And they spoke the word of God to these people. Maybe they were even the ones that brought them to salvation. And now these people had, these leaders had passed away. And the imperative here is to remember them. 
Now, you may have heard before uh, here at Lighthouse, you may have heard us talk about or kind of explain this biblical concept of remembering. Maybe it was uh, before communion. We, we explain it often, right? When, you, when we take communion, we remember um, Jesus' blood spilled for us, his body broken for us, right? That this idea of remembering in the Bible is much more than just intellectually recalling facts or, or recalling information. And actually, if you look in verse 3 of Hebrews 13, it uses the same word. It says, remember those who are in prison. So you're not just like intellectually bringing to mind, you're not just aware of who's in prison, but it's something much more active, right? If you keep reading in verse three, it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And so it's this really active thing or, or think about how you would remember an anniversary. Okay, you, you don't just uh, recall the date, right? Although that would be a good first step for some of you. Just kidding. Uh, you reflect on its significance, right? You do things like buy flowers or you make a reservation at a nice restaurant. You actually do stuff in light of the significance as part of your remembering. And that's what the writer of Hebrews calls you to do with your leaders. He says, remember them. Now, what does that look like? Well, maybe that starts with just simply identifying them. Maybe that starts with just you asking yourself, who are the people know who have led me? Who are the people who have shepherded me and cared for me? I mean, maybe as you think about that question, you realize you, you just haven't taken the time to acknowledge that, right? Or you, you haven't taken time to appreciate just how much certain individuals have had this spiritual influence on your life. Maybe it's someone you don't even expect, someone much older than you or a different generation than you. You know, as college students, I think you guys face the particular temptation or the tendency to have this consumeristic attitude. And it's not just you guys, but I think it shows up a lot in college, right? Just this state of like perpetual church hopping. I'm just going to go where I like. And it can be easy to just kind of show up and you just expect to be served or you expect to be entertained or maybe even fed. And you just show up on a Sunday, you're like, you know, I'll listen to the sermon. I'll grab my donut. I got to go back home, right? I got to go study. It can be easy to just be totally unaware of just how much time and thought and energy and effort your pastors and your small group leaders and your staff and your ministry servants put in to care for you. And again, I'm just not talking about myself, okay? I'm, I'm really not talking about myself. I'm talking about all the pastors here, right? All the leaders. There are a lot of people that really put in time and thought and energy to care for you. And so remember your leaders, recognize and honor them, appreciate them. Maybe even do something to express that to them. Second is obey your leaders and submit to them. So those two words, obey and submit, uh, they each have kind of slightly different nuances to them. To obey has this idea of uh, being persuaded by or to trust in or to rely on, uh, to have confidence in. And then that word to submit is this idea of yielding to. And I think together they kind of describe this, uh, this idea or this, this inclination towards and this willingness to trust and to follow your leaders. This, this willingness to trust and follow your leaders. And to be clear, this is not a blind or undiscerning or kind of check your brain at the door kind of obedience and submission. Right? We said this earlier in our passage, the ultimate authority is the word of God. And all leaders are still sinful people, which means that they will not be perfect in the way that they lead. But the question is, do you have that inclination to obey and to submit and to follow and to trust? 
Are you humbly aware that God has graciously and generously provided their oversight and care in your life? And sometimes that's going to be with these like kind of significant crossroads type of decisions. I think about the past couple years, we saw that with COVID. Our elders had the really difficult job of making decisions about opening or closing, gathering or regathering. And there were some in our church who disagreed with their decisions and some who, uh, who did agree. And even amongst those who, who disagreed, there were those who did so graciously, who submitted themselves to the leadership of the elders, and there were others who didn't handle it as graciously and maybe even left the church. But probably for you guys, I think more often, this is not going to play out in those significant kinds of decisions, but this is going to play out in the week-to-week ministry and means of grace. That every time we sit under the preaching of the word, that that is an opportunity to obey your leaders and submit to them as they speak the word of God? Are you eager for those times? Do you receive what they have to say and take it seriously and put it into practice? As Pastor Kim often prays before his message, do you put yourself under the preaching of the word or do you put yourself over it as judge over it? Last phrase I want to look at is this, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, we've already looked at this phrase earlier in our message, and uh, we kind of highlighted the high standard, right, to which spiritual, leadership or spiritual leaders are called in their conduct and in their character. Uh, we, we said that their lives should be lives that are worthy of imitation, right? Wor- lives that are worthy of being uh, followed after. But realize it doesn't just stop there, right? We're not just like looking at them and admiring them Why are we called to consider the outcome of their way of life? Why are we called to imitate their faith? So that it might motivate us and move us towards godly living, right? To live the way that they live so that we might be compelled towards greater Christ-likeness. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, Why? For what end? He continues, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So what do we see in those verses? That your spiritual leaders, they toil and they strive and they struggle and they proclaim and they warn and they teach with all wisdom. Why? So that you might mature in all Christ-likeness. And there is no greater joy for them than to see that, right? There's no no greater joy for them than to see you loving Christ more, trusting him more, treasuring him more, following him with your life. That is one way you can make it a joy for your leaders to lead you. I think for you guys, one of the tangible ways that I've seen that uh, with this group is just how many of you have taken steps to get plugged in and love this church family well. Whether that's something like pursuing membership um, or serving in children's ministry or in our bridge ministry or just showing up to sports or just branching out to meet other families. I, I, I really love that. That encourages me so much. It is such a joy to see that. It's not because, right, whenever there's like a children's ministry worker and they're in Beacon, I'm, I'm not like, yep, Beacon, right, Beacon. No, it's, it's not because of that. It's because in that, I see God growing a love for the local church in you. I see God sanctifying you and you loving Christ more. 
John the Baptist's words in John 3, 29 to 30, I think capture what is our genuine desire for you, that Christ must increase and that we must decrease. Right? And as the leaders, we are simply the friend of the bridegroom, as it says in that passage. We are like the best man or the maid of honor. Right? We, we, it's not about us. We rejoice when Christ is honored in your lives. Now, a few more just really practical applications before we close. And I think a lot of this can probably fall under some of the things we've talked about already. Um, but first is show up and commit. Right? It is hard to put yourself under the care of spiritual leaders if you don't show up consistently. It is hard for your leaders to know who you are and what's going on in your life if you don't show up consistently. And by the way, this is why church membership is so important because church membership is how the leaders know who they are accountable for. Second is share openly about your lives. Now, I know that sometimes it's hard to open up, right? Especially in a group. And I know that it takes time to build trust. And as leaders, we totally recognize that Trust is not something to be demanded, but it is something earned over time in relationship. We totally acknowledge that. But at the same time, your leaders are there, as our passage passage says, to keep watch over your souls. That is their job. And so don't waste, can I encourage you, don't waste too much time before you get there. Don't keep things like shallow or superficial. These are things of eternal significance. And that means that we, as the staff, as your pastors, your leaders, we are available, that we invite your questions and your doubts and your struggles and the things that are happening in your life. We want you to share them with us. We want to walk with you and care for you as best as we can. Next is heed their guidance. Now, we already talked about the command in verse 17 to obey and submit. Um, So we kind of already touched on this, but just one quick thought I want to add here. There should be weight to the guidance and the counsel from your spiritual leaders. There should be a weight to it. Not because they're infallible, because these are people who are given to you by God to shepherd your soul. And again, I'm speaking from observation, I'm speaking from my own experience, but I know that this can happen, right? When something comes up and, and you're seeking counsel about something, you're trying to make a decision, it is very possible to just keep asking different people And you know what? Eventually, someone will tell you what you want to hear. Maybe you've done that before. Or you can receive all this counsel from people, and still, you can do whatever you want. You can still not listen to anyone. Do you recognize that the counsel from your leaders has weight to it? That hopefully it's informed by the Word of God. Do you heed their guidance? Do you listen to their wisdom? Does it carry weight, perhaps even more weight than other voices in your life? Um, Last is pray for your leaders. In verse 18, the writer says, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. So we desperately need your prayers. Spiritual leadership is a high calling, and your leaders need God's help. And as a church, we've kind of been focusing on how do we pray through Scripture, right? So if there's, here's a few passages you can pray through uh, for your leaders. Acts 20, uh, 1 Peter 5, First uh, Timothy 3, Titus 1, those are all really good passages that talk about spiritual leadership. You can read through those and pray through those for your leaders. All right, I know that was a lot. But Beacon, I do want you to know that it has been an undeserved joy 
to lead and to shepherd you guys. Uh, it sounds like I'm leaving or something, which I promise I'm not. We're, we're only switching to Sundays, like I'm not leaving. But you guys are examples to me of what these verses here in Hebrews 13 describes. And I think the, the Beacon staff would say the same thing. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once uh, described the local church as the dearest place on earth. And I think that captures well uh, how I feel about our church family here at Lighthouse, uh, but also particularly with you guys at Beacon. And I do pray that, that you guys continue to live this out, not just with each other in this ministry, but with our other pastors and leaders, as well as wherever you may go next. Let me close with this. In, in verse 8, the writer adds this statement. In verse 8, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Now, why does he put that in there? Right? Doesn't it seem kind of random? It's like all of a sudden just kind of out of place. Well, like we said, these struggling Christians were watching their faithful leaders one by one slowly pass away. And, and there may have been you know, new leaders who stepped into their roles. That's what we're talking about in verse 17. But even if that's the case, I imagine that these believers were still prone to discouragement, that they were still prone to anxiety and fear and uncertainty. They were still ready to give up. And I want you to notice that this author, he doesn't point their hope to their next batch of leaders. He doesn't say like, oh, this leader might be gone, but look at this person who stepped into their role. He doesn't point their hope to anything else. Your leaders are given to you by God to speak his word, to give you examples to follow, to keep watch over your souls. And those leaders will not be perfect. Some, sometimes they will stumble. Sometimes they will fall short. Sometimes you will share something with them and they know, won't know what to say. Sometimes they might even sin against you. And the reality is, is that these leaders will come and go. I mean, they will be in your life for a season and then that season will come to a close. But, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is what you need to know. And that is enough. All these leaders that God graciously gives to you, that is what they want you to know as well. That is their purpose. That is their greatest desire and greatest joy for you, that you would know Jesus Christ, that you would know without a doubt that you can bank your life on him, that you, you will know without a doubt that you can trust him, that you can give your life to follow him, that you would know that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever is worth it, and that you can endure. Jesus is the only leader worth following, and he does not change, even if circumstances do. And yet God has graciously given us the gift of spiritual leaders to help show us that. Right? In their teaching, in their living, in their caring, in their shepherding. And so this passage says, remember them. Follow them as they help you to follow Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have given us people to watch over our souls. Father, we pray for them, that you would help them to live godly lives, that you would help them to be grounded in the word of God, that you would give them endurance and faith, you protect them from sin, and give them the strength to faithfully carry out all that you have assigned them to do. 
And I do pray for us as the flock. Lord, help us to remember our leaders, to honor them, to be willing to obey and submit to them, to pray for them, uh, to, to recognize your good and gracious design in giving them to us for our spiritual well-being. Thank you, God, for, for that truth. Um, Father, I pray for our time in small groups now that it would be just a profitable time of, of thinking more deeply through this passage and how it plays out in our own lives. We thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.